Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite subjects uh, here on the podcast, which is anger and murder. Yay! Aren't you excited? Uh, I told Alex this week that his sermon was both my favorite sermon he's ever preached and my least favorite all at the same time, because it weaseled its way into my soul and pointed out some of the brokenness in me. We also dealt with some pretty heavy questions about um, childhood relationships with parents and anger there and all of this stuff. Uh, without any further ado, we're just going to dive right in and you can wrestle through some of these challenges right along with us. Hello, everybody. I don't know why I started. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh my goodness. With my horrible Russian accent. St- yeah, a weird Russian accent to begin. The red couch. The, is that like a communist throwback? I don't know. Hello. <laughs> my, my friends. Uh, that starts to feel very inappropriate all of a sudden. Um, I, I, there is a whole interesting, like, <laughs> thing around which accents are acceptable to do still and not. It's a very weird thing that's been pointed out by multiple comedians. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, I mean, like, you can do an Irish accent all day and nobody cares. You can make fun of an English accent. Nobody, nobody's bothered. Like, nobody's, yeah. nobody's like, yeah. I'm offended by that. Or, so know. which accents are, are off limits? Uh, apparently, according to some people, like anything like Middle East accents are off limits. Indian accents are off limits. I don't know. Um, huh. but yeah. But no All one right. cares about Australian accents. That's fine. Okay. Uh, there's just uh, there's a psychology to it, apparently. I don't know what that is. But um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know. Well, but, how about Russian accent? Uh, I, I, I think that's a gray area. Yeah. It's yeah. gray. Yeah. But um, oh, I like gray areas. Yeah, <laughs> I live in gray areas. Fortunately, we're not here to give our expertise on uh, the appropriateness of accents or like modern day culture and what it finds acceptable and not acceptable. That is rather fortunate. Although this week and Sunday morning, not that I want to give people a whole bunch of reason to not come to church, but um, we are talking about the subject of lust this coming week. Yeah. Wait, so what was the connection to what you just said before? It was just like modern culture and what's like, oh, yeah. what, what it's cool with, what it's not cool with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you just uh, guaranteed that our service will be empty. Yeah. <laughs> at least empty of our podcast listeners. No. <laughs> <laughs> or at least empty of the people that start the podcast. I'm just going to assume that anyone you know, that doesn't come you know, is, yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what I'm assuming. Anyway, we're here not to talk about that. So right off the bat, we're here to talk about the sermon that you preached this last Sunday, rather than to uh, uh, encourage people not to show up next Sunday. Um, and I have a love-hate relationship with your sermon on Sunday. I have a love-hate relationship with my sermon on Sunday, uh, as it was the, yeah, I mean. Man alive, man, you brought the heat. Man alive. It's like, I was like, was that my favorite sermon Alex ever preached or my least favorite sermon? It was so well done and I hated it. Yeah, I I, I very much hated it because it it, it hit me in uh, Uh, the out zone of... um, I I wish I had your slides because I want to pull up the slide that you did where it was like um, some call out moments of like... If you've said these things, oh yeah. Maybe you Fortunately, with I this. have all my slides, oh. so I could even just hold them up to the camera if that was the best way to do something. Um, 
yeah, it, it it's so funny how so so for whatever reason, Jesus chooses to focus his attention on an anger that might be called bitterness or opposition rather than on an anger that might be called outburst or going nuclear or all of those other things. Yeah, so that was one of the things that like that, that you drew out. Well, actually get let's and, and, let's and, just let's yeah. not make assumptions that okay. everyone on our, yeah. our podcast was That's there fair. Sunday. So could you just give us a basic overview and maybe I'll pull it up on our on our screen here. Um this was the passage uh you know, you you read the headline murder mm-hmm. and you're like oh phew finally i get an off oh, week it's so beautiful because it's the one thing that most of us have never done like maybe that and adultery like there's there's these couple of things that like but murder by a huge degree is the one that like most people are like you you, you ask for a hand oh yeah there's like everyone's just like i'm getting a pass this is amazing I get um, to like take a deep breath this week. I don't have to panic. Yeah. Um, and you did not give that to us. No, and, at and, all. And then even when he turns from murder to anger. So did you re- actually read the passage? I can't read what's on that screen because that's tiny. Um, you you heard have... that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone is, who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire, the fires of hell. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yay. And then you pointed out, which word was the one that you wished that was like the explosive one? It, it, just the word angry. Um, so there's a Greek, Greek word, that the root would be uh, thumos, um, which has that like Explosive. bizarrely actually the word he uses this week because it's broader than just like it can be used in multiple contexts. So it could be used around anger, but it could be just like pa- bringing your passion, like bringing the like, like the, 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 the yeah, 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 the, the it, something from the inside of you. So he'll actually use that word, the word that he doesn't use last week, he'll use this week around the subject of lust, which is, which is just bizarre. But, but the, the word he does use, the root word is the word orge, which, which um, means opposition to set yourself up against bitterness, could include contempt, all those different things. It's got more of that, like, if, one, if the first one is the storm that breaks, that bursts, the second one is like the swelling of something that that's continual, lasting, doesn't change, mm. immovable, um, which speaks to the bitterness. So what it means is this. When we look at that passage, I have for years got to this passage. And even when he brings up anger, have been like, I get a pass. Yeah. Because nobody who knows me would say I have an anger problem. Like uh, the list of people that would be like, oh, Alex really struggles with anger would Mm -hmm. be zero. I never yell at my wife. I never yell at my kids. Occasionally I yell at the cats. Um, But, but. Well, great for you because I yell at all of those things. Okay, that's fine. It's not a, Which which is, I don't, most people would probably not think of me as a super angry person in general. Um, I, you know, I, I always have this this story that between me and my brother growing up, I always teased him, my younger brother, and he's like significantly shorter than I am uh-huh. and smaller. So people always were trying to figure out like, are you still actually related to the, to each other? And um, 
<laughs> so he, he would get angry at me and yeah. I always he would punch me and like hit me or whatever. And he's like little, little tiny guy compared to me. I'm like a massive kid. And I would say, Tim, you have a, uh, a short fuse and a small explosion. <laughs> and it would just piss him off even more. I bet it did. Yeah, totally. I'm convinced that he went into the special forces because, just to show you like, because yeah. later in life, like we'd mess around and he could just like kill me seven ways with his bare hands. Um, but he had a, a short fuse, but the flip side of that sort of teasing thing is I have a long, long yeah. fuse and, then it just, and a gigantic interesting. explosion. Oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, I get really annoyed about some weird stuff. Yeah. Like, like, like what, what did Laura say to this? Laura said to me not long ago, I said, she said to someone like some question came up about some event or something like that. And there was this possibility that, you know, that at some point there'd be a waiting list for it. Um, and she said, I can tell you right now, knowing my husband, not many things annoy him. Someone who's like not a church person, not being able to go to something that they want to go to because there's not enough room that will annoy him. Um, like there's just some very weird things that really, uh, really bug me, but, but I, um, I don't, I don't tend to like have this explosive side particularly. Yeah. But but when Jesus pushes into this realm of like irritation, bitterness, like contempt, like continual opposition to resentment, is all these flavors that might come out of this? Yeah, like like that that does come close to like who I am as a person. Yeah, the um, low grade sort of annoyance. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah, and I, I think so. The story I told was, it was actually this bizarre story where I, I was working in a church context, and I found out like one of my coworkers was getting paid loads more than I was, um, and like for for essentially two jobs that were very similar, and and I would say my job was a lot more labor intensive, mm. and and we were in a stage of life where we'd been struggling financially, where we felt like we didn't have enough. You know, we were saying lots of no's to kids, our kids that were just starting to hit that phase of like, they wanted to enter into extracurricular stuff. And like, so I felt like as a dad, like we'd made some choices around who worked and who didn't, which meant that we knew our income would be limited. Some of those choices felt really comfortable. Like I, I yeah. knew that it meant I was going to drive a really crappy car. Um, so that Laura and the kids could drive around in a car that was a little, still not amazing, but a little bit nicer, safe, all those different things. But but the the heartache of constantly saying no to kids on stuff, what was 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 wearing on me, and I yeah. remember finding out this piece of information and just stewing on it for like eight hours on this drive, just like over and over again, playing conversations in my mind, things I'd like to say. Like it would drive it all through the night, and my assistant's like waking herself up. She's like, do, "Do you want me to drive for a while?" I'm like, "No, like I'm driving, like and just like it's going to allow me space to rage at the world, like internally." And I can just feel like the toxicity inside me growing and growing and growing. Uh, and that was just the example that came to mind of how that outplays mm. with me. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I. I have so many examples. I can't even think of where to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I like, I start to notice, um, 
like this is this sounds really really strange there's like there's some practical things that i've learned in very recent years that can be like warning signs Mm. that it's getting like that i'm starting to get into an unhealthy place and one of them is disc golf Mm. like when i am playing in the summer when i'm playing disc golf if i start getting angry on the disc golf course interesting then it's like an early warning sign it's like the canary in the coal mine of uh something going on in my soul like if i miss a putt and i get furious at myself because i'm in the outdoors mm-hmm. in Colorado, throwing plastic in a field. Like, what? And it's usually really In what universe is that yeah, yeah, ever yeah. bad under any circumstances? <laughs> and if I'm starting to get angry there, <clears throat> yeah. it's usually like, oh, goodness, this is mm. going to, if I don't deal with it, it will show up in more significant and more harmful ways yeah. in my family or whatever. Another one is when I start getting angry at the dogs, which maybe is always. Um, yeah. I'm always yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, angry yeah, at yeah. the dogs. Yeah. Um, because I only have so much margin in my life to uh, be relationally present for mm-hmm. family members. And if the dogs want my time, I'm like, I would like to uh, sell you. On yeah. Black market you even offered to sell me one of your dogs. Yeah. I've tried to give them away all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just bought one. So not of yours, but yeah. So, yeah. It's so, so we're interesting. My advertisement wasn't great. No, it wasn't. No, no, no. We're interesting human beings in our, um, in, in the way that we process things. Mm. I, I've been told by some people that have done some like relational counseling with me as opposed to like actual counselors or, or psychologists or, um, but, but they've said that uh, Kevin Butcher, our good friend, like asked me once, he said like, I hear you talk about fair a lot. Mm. Like where's your obsession with fairness? And Last minute pitch. If you're not coming on Saturday to hear Kevin talk to guys, you should definitely come because he's he's brilliant at this stuff, like spiritual health, all those different things. He's like he, he yeah. sees you. Um, uh, and so he said to me, like you 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 you're constantly talking about fair, and if your obsession is fair, anytime the world feels out of whack, and it does, like the the world the world is not fair the gospel of Jesus is not fair. Like, because it quite often is attractive to the murderer as opposed to the victim's families. It's quite often like the guilty crave the gospel, not the, the people that feel like they've, they've they've not done anything. So, so if, if fairness is constantly your goal, realizing almost every realm of life, fair things are going to push up against your sense of fairness. Yeah. Uh, And so, so he he actually really helped me. Like, Man, why does he have to be so insightful? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's annoying. Uh, so so he, I'm angry. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. Um, he he got me to start asking that question. Like, why do I think this part of life should be fair? Um, mm. uh, and um, yeah. So so I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could say from that. And then Jesus goes on to give two words as examples that aren't very different with massively different consequences. So if you read it, trying to figure out like specifically what he says is this. Um, I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay. One scenario again, it's going to say something else. Addition. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, a a Jewish insult or a Hebrew insult is answerable to the court. 
and anyone says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell if your process is to try and look at the waka and the word um for fool in greek which i think is the word more and try and figure out why they have massively different punishments you're probably missing the the emphasis that jesus yeah. is trying to bring here so yeah, i've never said rocket to anyone and I, again rarely just 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 yeah. <laughs> rarely like um, only once a year do yeah, i say yeah, I, just, I just yeah it's it's like a choice <laughs> insult i like to pull out um so, so if that's the mindset we're gonna go and try and figure out well, why like what what do you mean like the core what do you mean like 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 actually the beauty of these things is they're fairly insignificant insults um like, like then you say like jesus used it elsewhere yeah he, he jesus cool he uses the word more for the the pharisees he says you blind fools um so so Man. so he's clearly not saying if you ever call anyone a fool you're going to experience the fires of hell. so wait jesus is disobeying this passage if, if it's if, if it's you about read it like that specifics yes. yeah, yeah, it. yeah 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 two kind Ooh. of innocuous wo- innocuous words one that Jesus himself uses in a different place. Um, the purpose is not to say, if you've ever said a bad word to someone, that would be like going back to the murder point and saying, oh yeah, it's the doing of the thing that matters. Yeah, like You can yeah, feel yeah, okay. all these different feelings, all these different emotions, all this different anger. So long as you don't like stab someone, it's okay. So long as when you leave, they're still breathing everything's fine doesn't matter if you've like eviscerated them mentally in your mind doesn't matter if you've gone through all these different scenarios of what you'd love to do to them like if only you could be sure the police wouldn't find the body so similarly similarly here if we end up saying like just don't say the word just don't say this one and this one and you're good to go Yeah, yeah 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 that would be again like making the same poor argument that that a whole bunch of people apparently had made about the, the murder command the rt france whose commentary on matthew is just like he's just sensational like it's just so good so insightful uh he talks about how this to him jesus incredible he, he draws this incredible parallel um between like how we might see someone or value them as a person and the things we might say so he said like the, even kind of innocuous statements that we might make reveal a contemptuousness that are a contempt that actually is toxic and god takes really seriously yeah so like you said on sunday both with the anger mm-hmm. and with the speech both are dehumanizing yeah and that's the that's the ultimate sin yeah is the dehumanization or the taking uh looking upon another human being created in the image of god and saying i will i choose to treat you not like what you were created to be uh, an image bearer. And I choose to treat you subhuman. And and this is what, this is where I think Jesus is fascinating because the, the the process he goes through here, not particularly groundbreaking. If you just believe his goal is like lots of rabbis to stop people committing murder. So, so this concept of like building a fence around Torah was you know, ask what's the thing you need to not do in order to not do the thing you're really trying not to do. Yeah. And, and you could read the same into what the, the passage we'll look at this week. Like, how do you not commit adultery? Well, don't have any adulterous thoughts. 
how do you not commit murder? Well, don't have any murderous thoughts. Like, like to, to, to ask that of people would not be a particularly groundbreaking movement. Jesus seems to go further in that he seems to say that there's something happening inside you when you start to go down those mental pathways that's that's really damaging. Mm. Um, and so it's not just don't do it so you don't get to the ultimate point. It's like, no, 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 even if you never got to the ultimate point, don't go down that pathway anyway, which is different. Like, there's not a lot of people in this day and age in, in jesus day and age saying that kind of stuff like that that are starting to recognize the toxicity of our emotions our feelings our internal conversations like and yeah. jesus is starting to pull all of that out yeah um which, which mm. again is is why i think we we have this underlying current i think at south and, and i know a few other churches that i, I love about them that, that, that they see this but it, but it, it may be something we don't verbalize very often. We believe that Jesus died for us, that he's a savior, that he's God in human flesh, all of those big things. We also believe he's just a brilliant teacher, like just yeah. stunningly good. And, and I feel like there's a whole bunch of people outside church that think Jesus is a great teacher that don't think he's those other things. Yeah, And I think there's a whole bunch of churches that believe he's those other things, but have kind of lost the awe of, no, this is a master teacher who is, he's just nailing it like illustration after illustration. Yeah, so he's both Lord and Rabbi. Yeah. So he's like the preeminent teacher of how to be human. Yes. And he's the, and he's the Lord and creator of all the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that, that. And a lot of churches say like acknowledge the lord peace uh-huh. but they forget to think of him as the most brilliant instructor on how to be human yes yeah so so af- after we talked about that like my nudge into like the the modern world was to pick up on that contempt idea and start to play with like some of the ways that in inter- interacts with our relationships and and i think what was what what i found compelling about it was recently maybe the last five years there's been a bunch of psychologists, a bunch of um, marriage counselors, John Gottman being the main one, that have written just a ton on contempt as the most damaging thing to marriages. Yeah. Um, and so there were a few the phrases that you mentioned that I that I pulled out that might yeah. start to reveal like oh, uh, I'm like, so scared like, to hear them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so long one one might be like just how were you only just learning? Like with the implication of like I, I learned that when I was five. Like what? What is wrong? What is so broken, so unhuman about you that at whatever age you're just starting to pick up on this? If I had a real partner, that that's like business world and church world, marriage world, like that. That like if only I wasn't holding everything. Like imagine what we could do if you had the capacity. I did like one of my own <laughs> repentance conversations with with like with with my wife in in the midst of us processing stuff was like i i had to admit like i i've actually had to because of my fairness concept actually just start to say if my wife has a different capacity for some stuff than i do that's okay that's not like a moral judgment of her like that that's not like this isn't ethics this isn't just like you know, like, like my mindset is I can get into a certain mood with stuff. 
and I'll do like seven loads of laundry in like two hours or three hours. I'll just like, I'll just cycle through and through and through. Yeah. I'll become this like angry laundry doing machine. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just not her wiring. Like she, she's going to yeah. go at a different, and those aren't value statements. Those aren't like yeah. ethical, like whatever's. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> my, like my wife, doesn't have an adrenal system like or okay, like yeah, adrenaline yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mechanism well she probably does but it's like she refuses to go there mm-hmm. because probably it's toxic mm-hmm. and she's learned that if she lets herself let the adrenaline kick in and like pull yourself up by there is no pull yourself up by your bootstraps in my wife's heart yeah because she's learned that it's toxic to her system i am like the always pull myself up by my bootstraps guy. And I'm like constantly over pushing and over exerting myself. Yeah. And she, and so sometimes I'm like, I wish you could just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And she's like, you, so you wish that I was less uh, healthy yeah, and more toxic yeah. like you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. yeah. So this, this other one, the, the next two, like they, they're, they're similar. Like again, like depending on your environment, these may make sense or, or may not make sense. Well, it must be nice to be at work all day, like away from the kids, <laughs> away from the the hubbub of life, away from the the whatever, yeah. the care of a home. But equally, well, it must be nice to be at home all day, like the weight of like income earning and all those different things. Um, it's always the same story with you, like starting to believe the other person doesn't change, can't change. There's no redemptive aspect to what's going on in their life. Mm. Uh, it'll just be like all the other times you've tried. Uh, like there's this great moment in The Simpsons where it's this beautiful moment of honesty. But 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 Marge, the 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 wife, is she's doing a play, and and Homer Homer, her husband, is like this you know everyday American guy, and he's like you know like i just can't get interested in this and i'm an expert in faking interest in all your kooky projects and she has this moment where she's like what kooky projects and then he actually just brilliantly reels off a list of all these different things she's done for of course one episode because that's how things work in the yeah. It's like she's gone to art school for a week she's gone to the police force for a week or whatever and he just yeah. it's like you know you're always doing these new things and like you always quit them which, of course, in a show is true. Like, you have to yeah. move the storyline on. But if you are in those cycles where you see a child, a parent, a co-worker, a, a marriage partner, in that sense of, yeah, you're always trying things. They never work with you. Like, you'll say you'll do this. You always stop. Like, you turn a corner. You always turn back. Yeah. Like again, there's a, there's a contemptuousness there. Um, why did I ever think you could change? Um, all of them speak to like a less than value. All of them take the other person and say, I'm going to remove you. Um, I'm going to lower you and in the process lift myself. So like the implication behind almost all of them Mm -hmm. is I live above the line and you live below the line. And if only you were like me, everything would be fine. Um, and that seems to be the heartbeat of what Gottman calls contempt. It's the eye roll. It's the sneer. It's the, like the cold shoulder, the, all those different things that it comes out in. Yeah. And, so and I he, think that that's, so aren't you glad you tuned in so that you could realize that you struggle with anger? Um, at least 
for me. Mm-hmm. I think this was a, yeah, I think there was for a lot mm-hmm. of people, this mo- these moments where they're like, yeah, I thought I was going to sneak by in this, this week, but I need to do some work in this yeah. area. And I think it's a very, um, now, um, so, so just final quote, oh, yeah. like final Gutman quote, he said, he says this, which like picture, it gave me a word picture for it. Contempt is sulfuric acid for love. And and that oh, pulls yeah. it out of, it's, yes, it's marriage. Yes, it's relationship, like on a physical level, but it's also like relationships across the board within the home, relationships within church that Jesus calls all of those relationships to be centered around love. Mm-hmm. Like in every area, contempt is almost like, it tears at the fabric of those. It rots them away or it like disintegrates the relationship yeah. centered in love because it's anti-love. Um, wow. And that, that gives us a, a whole bunch of like, I, I found this Dallas Willard quote that I actually had played with um, using this week. And I don't know if I, I thought I had it here, like ready to go, but, but he kind of plays with this idea that actually churches like it's so easy for churches to to measure stuff like um how many people turned up on Sunday yeah. and how many dollars were given on Sunday but he said actually the real heartbeat of churches is it, it's designed to measure things like um transformation like it's designed to only see that as as the category that has value yeah. Um and and like he actually he actually names contempt as one of those things that uh that we might long to see transformation. Yeah. Um in. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, you know, we're only 29 minutes in, but we do have three questions. Which, ah, yeah, uh, based yeah. upon my historical calculations of how we handle questions, <laughs> we better get going. We probably should have started on them yeah, 20 we, minutes ago. We better get going. Yeah. Um so our first question, uh, drum roll, is uh, with bringing the anger or contempt forward in order to forgive and heal, how should one go about that when it's their own parents that have wronged them and they <coughs> refuse to acknowledge that they have ever hurt you with, ever, with every single example that was given in today's sermon? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, man, I'm, and that's that's super painful. Like, cause, yeah. Uh, so for whoever wrote that, I'm sorry that that's been your experience, because that that is really painful. Jesus will have a lot to say about forgiveness later. Um, and and that pushes into that realm of like forgiveness, and and its healing capacity for us first. Yeah. Um. Because, because without anyone, so so the hard, I, I, and maybe you have been through this conversation recently because you're doing seminary right now. One of the, the interesting things for for me going through seminary was hitting some of the philosophical elements of like things like forgiveness within scripture and how you read it. Because I grew up in a church that was big on forgiveness, like and and almost like as a as a requirement. Yeah, like Jesus says, forgive. Your requirement is to forgive. And then I had this philosophy professor in seminary and he kind of threw me for a loop because he said so your understanding of forgiveness or your churches that you're relating there does that mean god asks something of you that he doesn't do himself okay so the implication we hear within church is like ask god for forgiveness and he will forgive you 
Um, now, now I'm reducing that down a little bit, and some people would even question that. But if that's the narrative you tell yourself, there's, there's this ask and then a response. What do you do in situations like this where nobody acknowledges it and nobody's ever asked? Like that would paint a beautiful picture of the world if everyone was just forgiven, regardless of whether they kept doing the thing or um yeah yeah but but that doesn't seem to be a complete story of how god works in the world so so this wrestling with like what do you do when the other person just doesn't acknowledge that you've ever ever that they've ever wronged you Mm. that they've ever they've ever created scenarios that have caused you pain that they're not responsible for any of the trauma or, or even that they go as far as to say like there is no trauma um like you just this is just like the gaslighting element that we hear about today of like no this is just you just like you're bringing your own stuff this isn't me this isn't this isn't anything mm-hmm. um and yet it seems to me like forgiveness actually is first for the person that does the forgiving mm-hmm. um like like regardless of what it means in a legal sense the fact that Jesus on the cross chooses to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing in, in a moment of capital T trauma, extreme pain, extreme. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, just extreme is, is, is as far as I can. It's, it's just this horrific moment, this violation of, of all that he is. And in that moment, for some reason, chooses to say, forgive them. Um, seems to suggest that he rejects a pathway that's toxic, even then. Like a pathway of like of anger and bitterness and contempt. That, we, that there's so many other things we're talking about today. Yeah, so I think wrestling and meditating on the realities of like the country that I grew up in mm-hmm. is one thing that helped mm. me process this. And I, it wasn't like my own thinking necessarily. It was actually, you know, talking through this with my dad, who was obviously thinking about the Rwanda genocide, which is where I grew up. Um, mm. And I was living in Rwanda when the genocide took place and was evacuated and all these sorts of things. And then hearing my dad talk about it with other people over the years, um, and then meditating back on that situation because it was like hundreds of years of this cycle of like one tribe rising up and m- murdering mm-hmm. the other tribe. And then those children watching their parents be murdered and then uh, they would grow up and they would murder their their the other tribe. And so like hundreds of years of this, this is the, this is the repeating mm-hmm. cycle. And then in 1994, 1994, when the, it happened again, um, there was sort of a breakthrough, uh, at least initially, and the, dur- the jury's out. But the church actually started to um, grow in a unique way after that genocide, and reconciliation started to happen for the first time after mm. that. And it was um, it was not because they just decided to forget. Mm-hmm. It was actually that they relinquished the scepter of justice to God. Yeah. And that's the only way to truly forgive. Yeah. And like this passage here in Romans is sort of where that all stemmed. 
Huh. Um, it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Yeah. For it is written, I, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And for for someone who doesn't have control, like you can't make your parents say sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't. And then forgiveness, forgiving them, even if like if they've done something horrible to you, your your entire life. And there's gosh, I wish this is like one of the most terrifying things about uh, being a parent. But there's so many children, so many adults who look back on their childhoods and they think of something their parents did that has just wrecked them mm. for their whole lives. It just happens over and over and over again. And most a huge percentage of trauma psychologists will tell you comes from these early childhood development years. Mm. Um, so if your parents not willing to acknowledge that and come to a place of reconciliation, uh, the, the invitation of scripture is not just to like cold, stop feeling pain, stop feeling like this was not, this is okay. Like, or, mm. or like start feeling like, Oh yeah, it's fine. Everything's yeah. okay. Instead, it's an invitation to, hand over this these this avenging spirit mm-hmm. to the to the goodness of God yeah. and trust that he he can make all of the things right uh-huh. whether that means punishing them uh or whether it means him also like he has the wisdom and the complexity to understand that the atrocities that your parents um felt um yeah that i mean that's so interesting the word wrath there is the same word that we were playing with this week. Oh, wow. Um, it's the word orge. Um, and the, the, the fascinating thing of that, wor- of that word is like when you look at it across scripture, with, with God, it's always healthy. With humans, it's never healthy. Yeah, and I, I mean, as, as I meditate on this, it's because God can say like, okay, your parents, as... as as painful as that is for you, whoever's asked this question, God has this ability. If you hand him the scepter of justice mm. about how they treated you and the wounds that they've committed in your life and the, the years of pain that it's caused you, he has this ability to, to receive that, say, yes, what they did was absolutely wrong. But I also see when they were seven and they were hurt. Yeah. And they were wounded because of some sin that was committed to them and on and on and on down through the, the generations. Is just, yeah. And he's able to see all of that and then figure out mm. what is the right and mm. kind and good thing to do, both for your parents and for you. Yeah. And that's the only way that actual fig- forgiveness. Can yeah, happen. we've used that mantra like multiple times, like hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And, um, and, and often don't even know that they're doing it. Yeah. And I think that that there's this whole like parenting theory of like we're all causing trauma to our children. Oh, we just don't know it. Like it's uncontrollable. Or sometimes like, we do, and then we're like, "Oh shoot, I got to go back." And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that that chat. The challenge of that is so <clears throat> so great. So I, I I think I I would say for sp- specific. I love what you said about the scepter of justice. That's just beautiful. And all the imprecatory psalms, all these places that give you space to, to vent to God. And, and uh, Tim Keller actually beautifully addresses this question in a, in a short video I happened to see. When he says, like, if you're not supposed to be angry in the context of the passage for this week, like, why is God okay with all the language of the 
the the Psalms. Yeah. And he says, ultimately, the only answer I have is because they're prayers. Um, because they they remain in that conversational element with God. They're not just venting into your own internal, like as I was doing in my description of that yeah. drive. They're not venting at other people. They're not, it, it, the direction to God seems to change everything. Absolutely. And creates this healthy space of he can handle that. And yeah, he knows and, and, and he can and he can level the scales perfectly. Yeah. And so feel free to vent to him and just and let it out and then hand it over to him and handle that hand that pain to him mm-hmm. and then trust that he will weigh the scales yeah, perfectly yeah. both for you and for your parents. And and then I think there's always this moment of like there's always this desire I have for people to hold hope and and say like yes they haven't acknowledged it yet. And and maybe they never do, yeah. And maybe they're not even alive anymore. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. But 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 actually, maybe they do as well. Uh, and that God works some incredible redemption stories. So I always, it always saddens me when I see like people within the 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 Christian community say I have no hope for that because it's it, there's the danger is it pushes you into some of those places that we just talked about. In, in terms of like, well, it's always the same story with them. Yeah. Like, oh, well, well, why would I ever think they could change? And in and of themselves, maybe they can't, but but actually with the way that God works in human hearts, we're almost left with this, who knows, like, you know, yeah. what may happen. Yeah, and um, like, a truly forgiving soul is a powerful, powerful yeah. thing. Like, this text seemed even... uh Maybe it's not this exact one, but elsewhere in Romans, maybe it is in the same context. I can't remember where it's like you heap coals on their heads. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what, what it's talking about there is this idea that like when you are able to separate your well-being from the brokenness of another person, mm-hmm. you suddenly acquire a power that yeah. they can't touch you anymore. Yeah. Because you're, you choose to acknowledge who you are because of what God says you are rather than what they say mm-hmm. you are. And suddenly they realize they don't have access to hurt you anymore. Yeah. And, any, yeah. and, power, and then they have to deal with the reality of who, yeah. they, what, yeah. who they've been to you. Uh-huh. And maybe there's even a higher chance that they would acknowledge that that, yeah. that brokenness. I, I, as, as, as part of this, like uh, some of the teachings like this week and, and coming up, I've just been reading John Steinbeck's East of Eden which is all this just intricate family involvement and stuff. Yeah. And even the title East of Eden is this tap into this moment where, where it says that Cain goes and dwells East of Eden. Um, incredible and, book, and there's yeah. all the, yeah. And, and there's this passage where one of the main characters, Adam um, goes to confront his, his wife that left him, who's now running a brothel. Uh, and there's this moment where it describes like, it says Steinbeck says he smiled at her like one that was smiling at a memory. Um, and it's this moment where he's like, and I'm at peace. Like I'm okay now. Like, you know, and, and, and all of his questioning has been around like, uh, could, could he love the two kids that they had together after everything that had happened? And she tells him the kids aren't his. And he suddenly realizes it doesn't matter at all. Like, yeah. and, and this is this moment of just like, yeah, you've done this to me and it didn't hit home. Um, and, and, and the, the, the bullets no longer land, um, and the blows no longer hurt. Wow. Um, and, 
and so somewhere that's the dream right to be able to get to that place but that can take a lot of processing and yeah counseling and and, yeah. and press but sorry for your pain yeah yeah next question that was a light one yeah <laughs> so um really appreciate this message in the what should we do closing portion of the message, I found myself agreeing with the suggestions that we that were made and also found myself, excuse me, wow, as I burp right into yeah. the microphone, also found myself wondering if having the hard conversation might also uh, many times be an important component of addressing the underlying causes of bitterness and contempt. So I think what I'm understanding from the question is like you gave this list of um, recommended things that they can do. And maybe, uh, maybe an absence on that list was just having the hard conversation. Yeah. And that, that I think is very much like whenever you give people takeaways, you're always like wrestling with like what's external for them to do. What's internal for them to process. Hmm. What are people ready to do? Like, like actually like, so, so where I tried to land today was like, what part, what this week's I was, what might people do? that might begin to prepare them to do the hard thing that Jesus specifically states we should be doing. Which is having the hard conversations. Which is having the hard conversations. Like, I mean, and that brings us to the second half of the passage beautifully because yeah. he, he, he'll repeatedly, at least for these couple of weeks more particularly, land in these extreme solutions to, to some of these internal struggles. Um, to a, a bunch of people in Galilee, you know, a good five days walk north of Jerusalem, he says, <laughs> if you've gone all the way to Jer Jerusalem to do a religious practice yeah. that was commanded, like yeah. a, a thing that, that, that they knew to do as a way of continuing relationship with God, go home, like get your running shoes on your, your PF flyers or whatever they're called. And like, you know, like all the way back, heal the relationship, like make the apology, like share the, the hard conversation and do all the way back. It doesn't say, don't, don't worry about the sacrifice for this year. Don't worry. You know, just like, yeah, take a year off. So no, no, go back and then come back and then do the sacrifice and then go back. Um, I mean, I mean, it's like he's, he essentially asks for an extra like 10 days of somebody's life uh, and, and however many dollars and however much effort and all those yeah. things and, and doesn't give any explanation or, or expectation of this will be the outcome of it. Like just no, go and do it. Like the implicate, the, 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 it's more than an implication, I would say, but, but the, the, the idea central to it is that you can't separate divine relationships and or divine relationship and human relationships. The brokenness in the human relationship mm. will affect what a divine relationship looks like. Um, you can't separate the two, Like you can't yeah. continue to go through a toxic marriage, um, like both firing off rounds at each other holding the other one in contempt and expect that that doesn't impact your relationship with God at all. Yeah. Um, and it's also like, I think you even said it in some way, shape or form Sunday, at least I heard it, whether it was between the lines or not, but it's like the, the invitation of this text is that the lengths to which the, the, the lengths you should go to 
to restore relationship with another person. Yeah, and it, it you should go yeah. very far. Yeah, and and so I really, think, really far. I, th- I think that what I was deeply aware of on Sunday was that there's going to be some people that aren't ready for that. Mm. Um, now, I guess the question with the text is, and this is where you wrestle as a pastor preaching a text is, is it about readiness or is it about just obedience? And how do those two tie in together? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the, but the, the reason that I, I, I wanted people to wrestle with the, the, the readiness part is, you know, I think for a lot of people, anger isn't the main thing. Like anger's not the primary emotion. It's secondary to a whole bunch of other stuff that, that actually isn't necessarily even about the other person. Yeah. Um, like you, when you're angry with your dog, it's not really about the dog. Huh. Like, like it's not, is it? No, it's not. It's no, not, it's about control. It's yeah. about fear. It's about, it's about a grief. Feeling that you over- don't have more space. Maybe. Yeah. To- I'm like overwhelmed with other variables. And then the dog's like nudging into my leg and I'm yeah. like, I don't have the energy for you yeah. right now. Yeah. And, and in, in an ideal world or, or like a, a scenario where you're, you know, in the middle of like a three month sabbatical and everything's feeling really healthy and you sat in front of a fire late at night on a, um, on a, on a winter's night after spending the day with your family and they're all off now, like doing other stuff. And you sat reading a book that you love, maybe listening to some music, the idea of a dog that curls up by your feet and like gives you that sense of silent companionship that's actually a very nice idea Yeah. in those moments. It's not the dog. Um, it's life. Um, like my frustration with I, my, my son woke me up at five o'clock or my oldest son woke me up at five o'clock in the morning and then woke the dog up. Oh, we got this new puppy, woke the dog up, the dog peed on the floor. Like I'm super mad. Like, but is it about Jude in that point? No, I know it's not about him. Like, so, so like how you process those things. It is fascinating. So I, I was hoping somewhere there'd be some space for people to say, what's what's the story beneath the story? Because that actually might help some of those difficult conversations. Yeah. For a husband to be able to go to a wife and say, you know, I've been like this for the last year. This is the, the theory is like, I'm not sure like I'm going to have this job much longer or I'm not sure I can keep going and, and showing up in a way that I need to show up. Or like I feel just like drained in our relationship. I feel like you know I'm I'm actually scared because I don't feel like I'm showing up well for you, yeah. and I don't know how to fix that. Um, yeah, like mm. if you can if you can give people some space to to delve under the service because because it's fine to go to someone and say yeah I've been really angry with you in this bitter contemptuous type way, and I still don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so part of what I'm hearing is like the recommendation to have the hard conversation is obviously there. That's exactly what the text yeah, says. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, it, yeah. it's not just implicit in the text, it's, it's explicit yeah, so it's, in the it's, text. It's really the idea. So, so some of the, the calls to action that you gave in the sermon were like bridge calls to action. They're yes. like an attempt to help people unlock a capacity to eventually obey a text. Yeah, like and, and there's yeah. the possibility that like, at least we tell ourselves this, like if if the if the contempt is still there, like can you ever go to the person and try and heal it? Because potentially the language, well, they're not going to hear it anyway. Well, I'm going to yeah, go yeah, to them yeah. with all the things that I'm struggling with. They're not going to change. Like it's always the same story. We've done this before. Like yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. so many mm-hmm. people, like 
like the, the, and this is the hard thing with following Jesus, like and and pastoring people following Jesus and pastoring myself or you know, speaking to myself as well. Most of us are in a, a space where we'd like, I would like to live out the way of Jesus really well. Yeah, I believe he's <laughs> right about human flourishing, but there's a bunch of stuff that's getting in the way right now. Um, that that's that that seems like, yeah, you know, yeah, it feels like. I don't know what to do with that. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and we've tried and we've tried as a couple. We've tried, we've yeah, tried yeah. as a church community, all those different things. Like, Yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of people sitting on the pews saying, you know, anger's awesome. I actually yeah. highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's people saying, I know angry, anger's toxic and I know murder's bad. Mm-hmm. Help me access some mechanism by which to actually grow out of this yeah. thing. And that's uh, that's like that heavier... Um, more complex, nuanced conversation that needs. To and I happen. think what we yeah. can't get to with the text, and this is where we're reading a first-century text in a twenty-first-century world, is really difficult. One, like like as we get to this week, adultery far less common in the first century than it is today. Yeah, like far less choice in those respects. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, there's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff that that we're kind of like looking at our lives and and like yeah, but there's this piece now. That 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 I I I don't know what to do within this culture. Like it complicates it at least. Like we've got all these narratives telling us on TV, this is what relationships should look like. You should you should you know lock eyes with each other across the room like hallmark style, and like you know accidentally find out that oh well we've got the same like background with this kind of thing. Oh, you're gonna be going back to the country of birth for a coronation, and you want me to go with you? And like all these like there should <laughs> be these like narratives where you fall in love, and then nothing ever comes between you again. Yeah, and yet in the midst of relationships, now we're like, oh wait, no, they do, and they're not, and they uh... yeah. Hmm. We have one more question and seven minutes to try and deal That's with it. Maybe easy for us. All right. You, uh, sermon eight fifteen. Okay. You, Alex talked about dehumanizing. Mm. This is a bad thing. In contrast, I was exposed to teach, uh, to teaching Denver, Colorado, Baltimore, Mer- um, uh, decades ago when I was a young adult <coughs> that we are worms. Mm. This was holiness teaching. Mm. At least once they directed directly said, deny your human nature was considered to be the deeper walk with God and knowing God more felt gloomy, depressing and, mm. uh, and oppressive. Yeah. So that's a great question. So like maybe to rephrase it, uh, and synthesize it a little bit is like you stated that dehumanizing someone is bad and is it, this text is, is actually pushing against this mm-hmm. idea of dehumanizing but what they've heard in the past is that um that human nature is evil yeah and that we it should be it should be suppressed it almost yeah. like we should be dehumanized and i feel like this has been a, a piece of language we've talked about like with frustration multiple times yeah, like, like, because, because, because I definitely grew up in a culture that that really the the scriptures may well have started in Genesis chapter three, and finished somewhere at the end of the Gospels. That was the story that I received. Yeah, yeah. Like broken worm, like whatever. Um, God graciously redeems you. End of story. 
which is a part of the story, but but without the Genesis 1 and 2 part that says this is what humans were meant to be like. Like the invitation of humans was, was to be something more than animal. So, so I actually think that the tension point is often, and I think, I think you've talked about this as well in, in a sermon, and this is actually interestingly a chunk of where we'll go this coming week. The invitation is to not be animal yeah. and to choose to be human. Um, yeah, like, yeah. like, like, and when we use the language that you know, around, around the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus' new way to be human. Well, uh, yes and it's no. Actually it's just to be human. Yeah, yeah to yeah. actually be human. This is Jesus' invitation to be what humans were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, like, yes, I think I would agree with the the teaching that says there's a warped human nature. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't live into that. There's a there's a human nature that that tends towards that more animalistic thing that that we'll see come out a load in the conversation around lust that is centered around like like that someone someone once said love is about what the other person needs lust is about what I need like yeah. like there's there's that parallel like there's that central part of like me that wants everything to revolve around me that believes the earth's the the, the i the earth circles me as it uh, as as it circles the sun like it's you know i'm the yeah the gravitational pull of everything yeah so i think some of it is a little bit semantic there but i i totally get what this question is around like i've been there where That's, it's like yeah, oh absolutely. i am never going to be worth anything like i cannot do this like yeah, and there, so the, the reason that that teaching exists in a lot of churches and a lot of backgrounds for people who've been in the church is because there's a lot of truth to that mm. in the sense that, like, um, humanity is broken. The fall took place, and there's a lot of brokenness in humanity, and the scriptures teach um, against a lot of our natural inclinations mm. as human beings. Yeah. But it's the brokenness... It, it's uh it's the brokenness that he that god's teaching us how to grow out of it's yeah. not our humanity in reality to what you're <laughs> saying like we're actually be the as we relinquish sin we become increasingly human yes yeah like jesus yeah. was the most human human who yes. ever walked the Absolutely. face of the That's earth brilliant. yeah i love that yeah, yeah. um yeah. because he had no sin and so, like, that's the destination. That's what allows us to sort of say, to dehumanize someone as evil. It's it's just, uh, just like when you sin, you choose to be less human. Yes. Every time you sin, you choose less. So, yeah, it's... it's so, so to yeah. move from an image bearer um, that, that is all that God made them to be and to go through something like the fall, which is both a individual story about people and a corporate story about humanity is to be dehumanized is to become less than um and yet the the beauty of the invitation of god is to recognize no there's still this true nature deep in your core to go back to that east of eden book there's this moment where where adam this main character says to his his ex-wife kate i know what you hate and makes you so angry it's that all of these guys that you that you bring into this brothel that you long to warp, there's a there's a core to them that's good that you can't destroy. And you hate that. Like that makes you angry. 
um like like every single one of us has that core and so when we look at another human being it says no no you you you, there is no image of god in you um yeah you're less than that 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 ultimately is like a really unhealthy place to land relationally um yeah uh, and so like you know to come back to the question as followers of jesus we what allows us to be ruthlessly anti-sin and anti-evil in the world is while at the same time elevating and upholding the fidelity of human life and human mm. nature is to acknowledge that sin is actually dehumanizing yeah. in general. And maybe we need a podcast to talk about the things we couldn't get to on the podcast, which is designed to get to the <laughs> things we couldn't talk about in the sermon. But the, the word sarks in Greek that Flesh. usually yeah yeah it, to me it's the most frustrating word to to think about like the translation elements of because on one hand it, it speaks to like just the nature of being a flesh creature yeah um on another hand it speaks to like the warped nature of your flesh that perhaps the animal nature yeah or, yeah, yeah. or the subhuman nature or the fall nature that pulls you off into different directions and then it also talks to like the effort element of like doing it yourself, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Like, and, and so where, where it is in each passage is like, yeah, I don't know. But, but that, mm. that holiness culture can so easily le- lean into, yeah, you're going to sort this out. Come on. You're going to get this. Like, just, just like think happy thoughts. Don't think angry thoughts. Just bounce your eyes. Don't think about lustful thoughts. Like, yeah. you know, like all those different things aren't particularly healthy Mm. and different to life in the spirit that Jesus calls us to. Uh, Well, I don't, I don't know if we fully answered that one or not, or felt like it, but hopefully we did. Um, And we love y'all. We've already gone an hour and one minute. So we're going to tune off. That's the best time for a podcast, an hour and one minute. That's like perfect. Well, then we better cut off before two minutes. We love y'all. And thanks for tuning in. And I've got to find the stop button as As always. always. As always, stop. stop button. Bye.